Dean, hey, uh, we were supposed to start at 6.30. You guys are late. <laughs> Somebody move the clock. All right. Well, we better jump right in to tonight. We'll, uh, unfortunately, I don't, we'll uh, not take time tonight for prayer requests so we can get right into this study. Uh, so turn to Revelations. And uh, how many of you love the study of end times? The crowd tonight shows the, that a lot of you like it. How many of you, um, how many of you it's not really your favorite? Be in church, so be honest, all right? Um, how many of you, despite, no, I'm just kidding, I won't say that. Um, I'll be completely honest with you. Um, okay, so I think there's, it would be interesting to do a, an analysis maybe on personality traits of those of you who like end time study, um, because and I'm just going off of one one study, uh, and that's me myself. <laughs> that uh, I'm just drawing some conclusions here. That uh, be- because by nature I'm just I'm not a planner. Okay, so that kind of rules some of the that out. Um, I'm not a worrier. And I'm just uh, show up and, hey, it's church. Let's go. All right. So how many of you are kind of that way? Just, all right. So how many, how many of you uh, are the worrying type or the planning type? Okay. So, <laughs> hey, I, I, I lump them together. So. Um, so maybe as I've lumped them together, you can, you can follow my train of thought do you guys like listen to someone who's actually just thinking out loud, like has no idea what they're saying? That's what's happening right now. My, my wife's giving me a look like, shut it. Maybe I should. So my thinking is maybe that those of you who really like end times are the, either the planner or the worrier or both. Okay. How many of you uh, that that you you love end time study and you are a worrier or slash planner? Okay, so yeah, or you don't have to be both. All right, so really my case study is invalid. Anyways, <laughs> I said all that to say that I'm not really uh, an end times guy. So if I get stumped, I'm going to ask Pastor Haley to come up and take over. Uh, but I uh, I did read this book a couple years ago. Um, by David Jeremiah called The Agents of the Apocalypse. And it seemed to me, um, you know, I took end time study in college and, and slept through most of that. Uh, but it seems to me that um, in all the different studies I've sat through or sermon series that I've listened to uh, or the class that I slept through was this seemed to be the most concise um, and make the most sense to me. Um, and so I thought, It'd be great um, to get together and kind of study through this. Um, I wasn't here early enough, so I don't know if you got an outline. Did anybody happen to grab an outline? I put it in your way that you almost had to, to run into it to find it. Hopefully you did. Um, and we may, as many as are in here tonight, we may have ran out. Uh, Tyler, is there more back there or they're, they're gone? Does anybody need one? Tyler, run and make a copy. So, yeah, there's quite a few of us. Yeah, if you make about 30 copies, I guess, and we'll pass it out when he gets here. Um, so I'll try to make a copy uh, more next week uh, for you. But Revelation chapter 1 tonight, we're just going to kind of give a, uh, go through the first eight verses of Revelations. 
Um, did I forget something, Roy? Yes, let's do that. Thank you, Roy. Uh, we're going to have this Texas can, so a couple guys come up here. Some of you are new to Wednesday night. Hey, I want you to know something. We've been doing this every Wednesday night for about 60 years here at Hallmark, uh, but we're glad that you're here tonight. Uh, and uh, so by way of information, as they pass these uh, offering cans out, uh, this is what's called Texas can. I, Hallmark's been doing this on Wednesday nights for... I don't know, at least, I would say at least 15 years, um, and uh, the money goes to help the, the Texas Fellowship start churches in the state of Texas, All right? So any offering that goes in that, uh, that's where it, where it goes directly into that fund um, through the, the Baptist Bible Fellowship. So, thank you, Roy. He always reminds me every Wednesday night because I always forget. We're going to look at the first eight verses of Revelation, so let's take time to look at it. Um, and uh, to read it, and hopefully by the time I read it, then some of you that don't have outlines will maybe get those to you. Uh, Revelation 1, verse 1 through 8, the, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John. He bore witness to the word of God, to the testimony of Jesus Christ, to all things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. Verse 4, John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who, has, who is, who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. And made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and in every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. All the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. Let's pray for a moment. God, we thank you for this night, and Lord, as we begin this new series, kind of walking through uh, prophecy and the revelation, Lord, I pray that you would just uh, speak into our lives, give us wisdom, give us understanding. Uh, more than anything, Lord, uh, draw us closer to you. Let us see Jesus uh, in this book. Lord, it's in your name we pray, amen. All right, so the first thing I kind of want to look at is um, what comes to your mind when you hear, so the book that, we're, that I'm kind of basing a lot of this study on is, and I encourage you to get it if, you, if you've never purchased it, is The Agents of the Apocalypse. Um, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear the word apocalypse? End of the world, all right? It's the end of the world as we know it, right? Um, is, is that pretty much what everyone thinks of when they hear the word apocalypse? Raise your hand. Okay, we're going to raise your hand so you won't fall asleep, all right? Um, apocalypse or apocalypsis is a Greek word. Does anybody know what that Greek word translated into English is? Revelation. All right, so the unveiling or uncovering or revelation. All right, so when we think of the apocalypse, we think of the end of the world, but that's not what it means, all right? It means the unveiling 
or uncovering or revelation. So revelation really is just a translation from the Greek word apocalypse. All right. So when you think of this in verse number one, it tells us what this book is about, right? It's the, unve- uh, the unveiling or the revealing or the revelation of who? Okay, so we, we obviously, as you, if you listen to the last part of that prayer, was that uh, we would see Jesus in this book. And who's the book about? I just told you. Who's the book about? All right, Jesus. It's the unveiling or the revelation of Jesus himself. Okay? Now, the, we, uh, I think we all know who wrote the book of Revelation, right? Let me hear you. John, all right. And where did he write it from? All right, the island of Patmos, because he was on vacation, right? Yes or no? All right. Bruce was there with him, and Bruce said it wasn't quite vacation timeshare. Okay. Bruce and John had a timeshare on the island of Patmos in, in A.D. 95, all right? Um, and so he was exiled there from Domitian because Domitian was the ruler of the Roman Empire, and he basically said that he was God and that everyone must bow and worship him as God. And so guess where that led John? To the island of Patmos, all right? And so interesting how... When you look through Scripture, um, seemingly bad things that happen in people's life, God's always in control, isn't He? Yes. Like, it's possible that God needed to get John isolated on an island just to be still enough to write this book, right? And all throughout Scripture, you'll see that what seems like a bad situation or bad circumstances that God already had a plan, didn't he? Aren't you, aren't you thankful that God had a plan? Um, and, and I think, un, you know, in a good way, in a bad way, for me, I, I always believe that. I just believe God's got a plan and God's got to figure it out, and so I don't have to figure it out, right? And so I think that leads to me sometimes not really worrying about the end times because the truth is what I know about what's, what I figure out about what's going to happen in the end times is it going to change what's going to happen in the end times? Really isn't, is it? But that's not necessarily the only, the only reason to study the book of Revelations. In fact, um, we'll, we'll walk through it, all right? So on your outline there, everybody got an outline now? Everybody that wants one got one? Here I got an extra one, Tyler. I'll save you a trip. All right, there you go. Um, We'll walk through the outline, and uh, there's no way that we're going to get through all the information tonight, but that's why you have the outline. The first one there, then, is we're going to look through what kind of book this is, all right? So, obviously, it starts out by saying it's the revelation, the unveiling of Jesus Christ, but it's, number one, a prophetic book. Again, verse one, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants Things which must shortly take place, and he sent and signified by an angel to his servant John. So the primary purpose of the book of Revelation is not, okay, let me rephrase that or restate that. The primary purpose of the book of Revelation is not to point to, not to paint a picture of the end times. Okay? Although it does that, 
So are you, are you tracking with me? I'm going to read it again. The primary purpose of the book of Revelation is not to paint a picture of the end times, although it does that. The primary purpose of the book of Revelation is to unveil or reveal Jesus Christ as head of the church, as head of the body of Christ. All right? So that's the main purpose, all right? Um, so we think about it as a prophetic book. And then it says, so look at verse 1. It says, the, the revelation or the unveil, unveiling or then of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. All right, so has this, this book was written a few years ago, right? All right, so do you think that, what do you think that word, that phrase, must shortly take place means because it didn't take place very shortly did it okay what it what it really is signifying is there is that when the events that are going to be we're going to walk through here in the book of revelation when those things began when it starts then it's going to happen quickly all right it's going to continue it's going to happen quickly all right so it's not saying in time that it's going to happen soon but when it does begin to happen it's going to happen quickly okay does that make sense all right so it's a prophetic book all right, let's look at number two. It's a personal book. Verse two, who bore witness to the word of God, to the testimony of Jesus Christ, to all things that he saw. Uh, David Jeremiah says this, Revelation is universal and eternal in scope, but it's also immediate and personal. To think that, that John had the opportunity over and over in, in, in the book of Revelations, you'll see him I'm writing the things that I saw, how personal it was for God through Christ, through the angel to speak what we get to read. Isn't God amazing to think that he could, could use that? So it's a personal book and, and even personal, the fact that verse four says, John to the seven churches were in Asia, were in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come from the seven spirits who are before the throne, and then if, if you've grown up in church very long, or you've studied Revelations very long, you see there chapters two and three listed the the seven churches. And in those seven churches, um, if you study through those seven churches, we're not take time to do that in this study. But if you study through those seven churches, you'll see um, pictures and descriptions of churches today, right? All throughout church history, you'll see uh, the lukewarm church or the loveless church. And, and so it's not only is it personal that, that God gave this to John to give to those seven churches, but then those seven churches were to pass it on to us. And there's application for us even in those two chapters. Um, and as it was uh, written to the seven churches, uh, then someone would take the scroll that he wrote it on and take it to the seven churches, and they would read it publicly. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be um, exciting to read if you were the lukewarm church for that to be read publicly, the description of your church, right? Uh, that would, maybe that's when people started sleeping in church. I'm not sure. So it's a prophetic book. It's a personal book. And then, and then number three. It's a pictorial book. Again, I already mentioned this. 39 times in, in this book, John says he's writing the things that he saw. Verse 2, again, as we already read a, a couple times, he's writing down the things uh, that he saw. Okay, 
There's a lot of symbolism in the book of Revelation in there. And how many of you get really confused with a lot of the symbolism in Revelation, right? And I'm up there. Maybe that's another reason I don't like it. I'm not very smart, so it confuses me. You know, for instance, um, the symbolism, Jesus pictured as a judge with a sword coming out of his mouth in chapter 1. Chapter 13, the Antichrist is pictured as a beast coming out of the sea. And I thought it was interesting in the book that he gives uh, three reasons why he feels like that the, that the book of Revelation is filled with so much symbolism. Uh, these, are, these aren't your notes, so if you want to jot them down real quick, you're going to have to write quickly or in shorthand. Number one, symbolism is, symbolism is not weakened by time, right? So the image of the beast, today we have the same reaction, right? So it's not broken by time. Uh, number two, symbolism imparts values and it arouses emotions, right? So again, it's not weakened by time. It imparts values and it arouses emotions, the third one, which I thought was the most interesting, uh, it functions as a kind of spiritual code that was generally understood by believers, but not outsiders. So thinking through that, John has been exiled to the island of Patmos. Why? Because he won't bow to the image or he won't claim that the emperor is God. Now he's writing to the seven churches who are also threatened by the same emperor, that if they don't claim him as God, that they're going to be under persecution. And so the whole book is written to the churches who were being persecuted. And what's, what, what's the end of the book say? So you guys want to, you know, um, close your ears if you don't want to hear what the end of the book is, right? Guess what? God wins. Isn't that good news? And so John's writing the book to the persecuted churches to let them know, in the end, guess what? We win. Keep suffering. Keep fighting. Keep persevering. And so uh, the author, David Jeremiah, is saying that a lot of the symbolism is written so that when and if that it got intercepted, then an outsider, the word he used, or an unbeliever, wouldn't quite catch all the symbolism. Does that make sense? All right, so it was a code really for some protection. So it's prophetic, it's personal, it's pictorial. The, the, the number four is it's, it's profitable. Now, again, I read this a few years ago and kind of went through uh, this study a few years ago. And this is where um, I was convicted. Okay, so I've already confessed to you that, that the end time study is not really my thing. Um, but look what verse 3 says. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. So what's the promise given to us as believers who read and study this book? We're going to be blessed. So, okay, now all of a sudden I want to read it. Right? Because guess what I want? I want to be blessed. Right? Um, and so, again, you have, at least for me, it's like, well, whatever's going to happen, happen. God's in control. But God has said here, and, and again, um, in Revelations 22, verse 7, he says, Behold, I, come, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Now, I can't keep the words of the prophecy of the book if I haven't read the book, can I? So again, it's this idea that, that it's profitable for us to study not just the parts of the Bible we like, 
right? But to study all of it. Not just the parts of the Bible that make sense easily, but all of the Bible. And not just the parts of the Bible that we can tell other people how they should live, right? Okay? Some of you got that. So it's blessed. So Revelation was written initially to people who were suffering. Now, how many of you have ever recorded a, um, a sporting event on, on TV? You know, back, how many of you remember when you used to have, some of you remember back before that, either the beta machine or the VHS tape, right? How many of you recorded over your wedding, right? Anybody do that? I didn't, but I was just asking if you did. But you ever recorded the game and then someone accidentally tells you who won the game? How many of you still watch the game? It's funny. I'll sit down and watch a, a, a Cowboys game, right? And I already know the outcome because, you know, thank God for TiVo now. And you can just fast forward through all the commercials and all that good stuff. But I already know the outcome of the game. But even though I know the outcome of the game, and maybe I'm the only one that does this, I still get caught up in the game and like, we're going to lose. You guys ever thought that? Like, it's, what are we doing? This is stupid, you know? And then all of a sudden, something triggers in my brain. Like, they're not the stupid ones. You are. You, you already know the outcome. Isn't it so much less stressful to know the outcome of the game? If they win, right. If they lose, I don't watch it. So, And that's kind of what John is, the, the point, one of the points of the writing the book. So look, there's going to be times when life is really difficult. There's going to be times when you're persecuted for your faith. There's going to be times when you might be exiled to an island like I am. But guess who wins in the end? There's profit in knowing the end. Because in the end, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you win. Isn't that good to know? Doesn't that give you confidence sometimes in decisions? Doesn't that give you confidence in following God? Uh, Martin Jones says it this way. If your understanding of the book of Revelation does not help you rejoice, then you're misunderstanding it. Uh, It goes on to say this. Revelation was written in order that God's people who were passing through terrible persecutions and terrible adversity might still be able to go on rejoicing. Rejoicing knowing the end. So it's profitable, and then uh, on your outline there, it's got a few more sub-points there. Uh, the first one there's profitable for personal application. Profitable for purple, personal application. Um, and then it just kind of has, uh, well, let me read this statement. Our, con- our conduct today is affected by what we know of tomorrow. We are told in Revelation that we are on the winning side of history, regardless of how things May appear. The more you study the book of Revelation, the more you understand why Satan fights so hard to keep God's people away from it. And so we understand it's profitable for personal application. The second one it talks about here is public assembly. Again, when, it, when this was first written, it was written to be read in a public assembly. Okay? Uh, similar in 1 Timothy 4.13, it says, Give attention to reading, to ex- exhortation, to doc- doctrine. So just culturally... When John wrote this, it would have been customary for them to read publicly. So they're going to read this letter publicly. And I think it's interesting that as they read about the seven churches, they're going to read about all the other six churches as the one church is listening, right? 
And that may be interesting too. So it's profitable for the next one there, anticipation. So again, we've talked about that, that it's good to know that we win. So pro- prophetic, it's personal, it's pictorial, it's profitable. And number five, it's practical, right? Uh, William Blackstone wrote this, No other doctrine in the Word of God presents deeper motive for crucifying the flesh, for separation to God, to work for souls, and as our hope and joy of crown of rejoicing in the doctrine of Christ's return. Did you catch that? The doctrine, what he's stating here is the doctrine of Christ's return, which is what Revelation reveals to us. There's no deeper motive for crucifying the flesh. That's tough to do, isn't it? You know what it means to crucify the flesh, right? That means, as other scripture says, I'm going I'm to daily die to what? Self. Is that difficult for you? I mean, it's difficult for me. And so what he's saying here is there's no greater doctrine than the, the, than the doctrine of Christ's return to remind me that I need to crucify myself. Then it goes on to say, for the separation to God. In other words, the state, I'm going to crucify my desires for God's desires, my plan for God's plan, my will for God's will. And that's not always easy. But it's also then, this quote goes on to say that, that to... Um, for separation for God, that, I, that my body, my life, my plans are separated out for who to use? For who? For God to use, isn't it? And that's not always easy to deal with, is it? That I'm going to daily die to my desires. But it goes on to say, to work for soul. So, so listen to it again. No other doctrine in the Word of God presents deeper motive for crucifying the flesh, for separation to God, to work for souls. When you, when you understand the finality after life, when you understand the punishment that awaits those who die without Christ, when you understand when, when the rapture takes place and, and then when Christ returns, there's no more chances. Doesn't it put a little bit of, of um, heaviness to the responsibility you have as a believer to tell people about Jesus Christ? And, and when, I, when, I, when I really rest in the reality of the judgment of God... And God says he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, right? But that responsibility of getting the good news out to the lost world, who, do, who does that responsibility fall on? It falls on, on us, doesn't it? If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, then he has commissioned you to share the good news. And so what he's stating here, William Blackstone, this was in 1908, what he's stating is that when we truly grasp and understand the reality of the second coming of Christ, the final judgment of Christ, that it would cause us to do what? Crucify the flesh, separate our lives for God's purpose, and to work for souls. 
to go after the lost. And I don't know about you, but, but, but me personally, I'm not sure if I'm all in on that every day. Am, am I the only one, or you guys make me feel better about myself and say, yeah, that's us too? Man, it is, I'm, I'm a selfish person. Can I get an amen? Just not for my wife. Can I get an amen? I'm, man, I am selfish. And, and the truth is, thank you, Jimmy. Jimmy said it. Every one of you are. He didn't quite say it like that. But So open confession, who's selfish in here tonight? Right? And, and the more you look at Scripture... And the more you understand the reality of the return of Christ and the judgment that will fall on people that don't know him, man, I hope it puts a a perspective on what we deal with every day. And, And then you think about the context of what John is writing this. He's writing this because he's been persecuted. He's been... Uh, you know, exiled to this island. He's writing back to the churches who are facing major persecution. Uh, the battery dies in the middle, then it comes back on. But many of them, many of them are being persecuted. Their families are suffering. And, and what he's saying is, listen, we still have a, we still have a mission. And it's, it's, um, alarming to think. I mean, just think about these statements in my own life. Am I willing to crucify the flesh? Am I willing to separate myself, not for my will, my plans, my goals, my ambitions, my desires, what I like for God? Why? To work for souls, to reach the lost. And then it goes on, so I don't, I mean, I'm looking at your outline here, I didn't say this, but under the, the practical um, aspects, oh yeah, there it is. The book of Revelation will empower the Christian in three practical ways, right? So there it is on your outline. First is, empowers us to live productive lives. Um, we have a few minutes, so turn to Matthew 24. So in Matthew chapter 24 and 25, Jesus' teaching is known as the Olivet Discourse, talking about end times, talking about the tribulation, the rapture. And, and look at verse, let's start in verse 36. Matthew 24, verse 36. But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. And two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two men will be grinding in the mill, one will be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, if you do not know the hour, your Lord is coming." But know this, that if the master of the house had known that the, what hour the thief would come, he would have washed and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming an hour you do not expect. 
Look at verse 46. Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. What do you want to be doing when, when Christ returns? What do you want to be found doing? Right? I, I remember as a kid, you know, uh, growing up as a kid, I was not allowed to go to the movies. Okay? Now, I won't rat my parents out, but after I left for college, they started going to the movies. But <laughs> wait, I wasn't going to say that. It just came out. And, and I lived in a small enough town that if I went to the movies, guess what? Somebody was going to see. So we drove to Abilene to do that. But anyways. <laughs> what kind of attitude, what kind of actions do you want to be caught having when the Lord returns? You know, uh, earlier this week in, in our reading, we read Matthew chapter 24. I, I think it was Monday. I don't know remember for sure, and, and uh, I wrote uh, in my uh, little journal or in that blog every, most every day that I write um, about, uh, I thank the Lord for a gravel driveway. How many of you read that? Yeah. And uh, my, uh, our driveway at home was a gravel driveway, and I could hear the tires hit the gravel driveway, and that was a two-minute grace period to clean up or to finish what I was supposed to be doing when mom and dad were gone, okay? Or the garage door. How many of you love the garage door opening? Yes. I've got, you know, making sure the batteries in the garage door are good, making sure there's gravel at the end of the, at the, end of the drive. I got two-minute warning. Um, guess what? Not getting the gravel driveway, are we? And, and what is, what state of mind what actions is God going to find me in? Does that startle you at all? It does me. Because a lot of times I, I need the gravel. Right? I need a warning. And, and so studying the book of Revelation and understanding that God is coming back. It, it's victory, right? But... There's other aspects to it also, isn't there? Uh, do I want to be found working? You know, in, in uh, Acts when, uh, 1, verse 11, when Jesus ascended into heaven, what did the angel say to them? Why stand you here gazing? He's going to come back. And what's, what's God going to find me doing? How's, what's the attitude I'm going to have when God returns? Does, is that startling to you at all? I hope it is. The, ne the next one there is it empowers us. So we're under, the, we're under five, the practical book. It empowers us to live productive lives. The next one is it empowers us to live positive lives. David Jeremiah says this, As the world conditions worsen, we should not hang our heads in depression or shake our heads in confusion. We should lift up our heads in expectation, for our redemption draws nigh. Aren't you waiting for the day Jesus will come back? Um, I think the, um, the older I get, um, that's a loaded statement in this room, but the older I get, the more 
um, I'm okay if God comes back. Do you, remember, do you remember, you know, when you were younger, oh, if you just wait till I graduate high school, that'd be awesome. You know, or wait till I get married or have a kid. And then when I had a kid, oh, he can come back now. <laughs> like, this kid will not stop screaming. I can only pretend like I'm asleep so long, you know. Do you look forward to the day that you'll be before your Savior? And I think of the, the impact, you know, you read uh, most popular time, I guess, in 1 Thessalonians 4, that seems like it's always read at a funeral, many times at the graveside, you know, talking about the rapture, and we who are alive and remain will be caught up in the clouds with him, and we shall for, be with the Lord forever, amen? And then it says, what, therefore comfort one another with these words, and so, as, as you know, scary as you walk through the book of Revelations and all the symbolism and the beast and whatever else we'll find in there, the reality is it's assuring to know that I'm going to spend eternity with God, my Savior. And, and the fact of that should, again, it's that idea of I, I know who wins in the end. And so, I, again, we'll go back to... First Thessalonians 4, and, and we mourn, you know, the loss of someone we mourn, but we mourn with what? Fill in the blank. We mourn with what? Hope. What's the hope? It's Jesus, isn't it? And, and that's, again, as we go back to the very first part of this chapter, this is the revelation of who? Jesus, who is our hope. Uh, then it goes on, uh, the next one here under practical book is empowers us to live pure lives. Again, I think this kind of falls under the same thing we've been talking about. But 1 John 3, 1 through 3, if you want to write that reference down, it says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called the children of God. Let's just pause for there for a moment. Isn't that a great statement? Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called the children of God. Are you glad you, you're a child of God? And maybe we'll pause for a moment there to say, are you sure you're a child of God? Because God's the creator of all. Yes or no? Is God the father of all? No. He's not. I set you up for that one, I know. He's not the father of all, is he? It's only those who've given their life to Jesus Christ. So the, you know, the statement, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called the children of God. And Ephesians talks about being adopted into the family of God. And the point of Revelations is, one of the points of Revelations is for you, you need to know. Yeah, God created me, but am I, am I a child of God? And coming to this church, guess what? Doesn't make you a child of God. Coming on Wednesday night church to a Revelation Bible study does not make you a child of God. I, I spent my entire life in church, and I was not a child of God. Not until the age of 17 when I realized I had to make a decision for myself. I had to surrender my life and place my faith in Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior. Have you ever done that? Because if you've never done this, this is going to be a scary study. 
How many of you remember those uh, old movies, the like Thief in the Night and Distant Thunder? And anybody remember those those videos? How many of you never watched those videos? Okay, your life is blessed for not watching those. But <laughs> what's funny is about I don't know ten or twelve years ago, I I ordered all of those on VHS, uh, and I when uh, we took the youth group to New York City on a you know, tour. We made them watch all of those. I never got them back. I'm not sure what happened to them. They'll scare the you-know-what out of you, right? So think about it. Are you really a child of God? And, and, and in this quote we went through earlier, I think maybe fruits of whether you really are a child of God or not. Am I willing to crucify my flesh? Separate my life to God? Am I working for souls? And, and if those three things are not in your life, and I'm not saying every day, we, sh- we all struggle with that every day, right? Then, then maybe you should reexamine, do I really belong to God? What am I resting my eternity in? My attendance of church, my giving. Have you personally given your life to Jesus Christ? I wouldn't plan on saying that, but that verse just struck me. John 3, 1. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called the children of God. Therefore the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. Verse 2. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed that we what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. So again, this idea of it's profitable, or it's prophetic, excuse me, it's personal, it's pictorial, it's profitable, it's practical. The last one is it's purposeful. So what's the purpose of the book? What, what is it revealing to us? We said it's a revelation of Christ. It's the unveiling of Christ. Look at verse number 7, chapter 1. Revelation 1, verse 7. Behold, He is coming with clouds, and every eye will see Him, even they who pierced Him, So who is he in this verse? Jesus. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. So the the purpose, the first one, verse 7 is, it's the return of the king. King Jesus will return. And what many hoped the first time he came, that he would set up his earthly kingdom, guess what he's doing the second time he comes? setting up his earthly kingdom. The return of the king. The second one, look at verse 8. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. So the purpose here twofold, the return of the king, the reign of the king. Aren't you thankful that Jesus wins in the end. 
And I hope that as we walk through this the next several weeks, that it will be a reminder to you that God's in control and that he's worth serving. Would you agree to that? Let's pray. God, tonight we're reminded again that all victory belongs to you. One day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And Lord, I pray that this evening, maybe tonight, even, even on a Wednesday night, Lord, that there's someone here that has never given their life to you, Lord, that they would surrender to you. That they would place their faith in you for their salvation, for their forgiveness of sins. But Lord, as we begin this new study of the revelation of Christ and the, the events that will take place at your second coming, Lord, may we be challenged to be prepared in our own heart, but Lord, also to be challenged to make sure others are prepared. Lord, I'm guilty of, of wasting energy and emotion on so many things in life that don't have eternal value. And Lord, may this study remind me every week as we study it to put proper perspective on, on things and life and souls and people who don't know you. And may it challenge us as a church to reach out to those who don't know Jesus that they would have the hope that we have. Lord, it is in your name we pray. Amen. All right, appreciate you guys being here this evening, and uh, we'll try to start on time next week, all right? So.